Saturday the 5th. All right, well, we're going to look at Ephesians together today. If you have a Bible, go ahead and get it opened up to Ephesians. There are two places we're going to go. So if you're turning in your Bible, you may want to put a finger in Ephesians 1 and also a finger in Matthew 6. If you don't have a Bible, don't panic. All of the verses that I'm going to share today will be on the screen behind me. Uh, we're going through a sermon series in the book of Ephesians. We just started in verse 1, and we're just going to keep walking through over the next several weeks the book of Ephesians together and look at what uh, the Apostle Paul has to say as the Holy Spirit guided him. If you weren't here uh, the last couple of weeks, this is a letter. The, uh, the majority of the New Testament books, of course, uh, let me just start at the beginning. If, in case you're not familiar, the Bible, even though it appears to be one book, is actually 66 books. And there are 39 books in what we call the Old Testament, which was all written before Jesus Christ came to the earth. And then the New Testament makes up the, next, the remaining 27 books for a total of 66. The New Testament books all written after Jesus tell the story of his earthly life and ministry, his death on our behalf, his resurrection from the grave, his ascension into heaven, and the beginning of the Christian church. As the Christian church began, there was this guy named Saul who was actually persecuting the first Christians. He was actually responsible for the first person who died for preaching the gospel, a guy named Stephen, who was executed, and we read about his story in the book of Acts, and he was executed for preaching the gospel, and Saul was the man who was overseeing that execution. Well, Saul had a very interesting encounter with Jesus himself and became a radical Christian and went on to preach the gospel probably more than anybody else in the first century. So the guy who once tried to stop people from preaching the gospel by killing them became one of the best uh, known preachers of the gospel of all human history. It's an amazing story. We talked about that at the beginning of the sermon series. If you want to go back and listen to learn more about the story of Paul, you can do that. So Paul went around the, the area that all of this was taking place in and began starting churches. He was, in, in a sense, a church planner. He would go into a town. He would go to the Jewish synagogue. He would preach to the Jewish people and tell them how Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecies of the Old Testament regarding the Messiah. And he would encourage them to put their faith in what Jesus had done on the cross. And churches were birthed. And so churches began all over the world at that time, the known world, and Paul would travel and he would encourage those churches, and when he wasn't able to get to them, he would write them letters. The majority of our New Testament books are indeed letters, most of them written by the Apostle Paul, but make no mistake about it, the true author of these letters is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit worked through the Apostle Paul and the other writers so that the words that we have here are the words of God, the words that he wants us to have. And so when we get together on Sundays, we want to look to the Bible, which is God's inspired word, and we want to open our, open our ears and our hearts and say, God, speak to us. And so that's what we're doing today. We're going to do that as we continue to look at the book of Ephesians. So we're going to read chapter 1. Our text for today from Ephesians is verses 15 through 19 of chapter 1, but I'm actually only going to read verses 15 and 16, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 6, and you'll see why in just a minute. Paul says to the Ephesian church, he says in verse 15, This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. 
So in the very beginning of this book and in the sermon series, we introduced Paul in the Ephesian church. And then last week, we looked at the next several verses, which were really a, a nice summary of the gospel message. A nice summary of what it means to be saved by Jesus, to be in Jesus, what we can expect now, what we can expect in the future. It was a great summary of the gospel. Now that he has reminded them of the most important points of the gospel, he's going to address them specifically and personally. And he starts with this. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. And we're not going to look at the next couple verses yet, but we'll see that Paul launches into an actual prayer for the Ephesian church. He lets them know the things that he is praying for them and the the way that he is praying for them. And so as we look at this idea of Paul praying for the Ephesian church, I thought it might be good to do just a real quick overview of what prayer is and how we should go about praying. And there's no better place in the Bible to learn about prayer than from Jesus himself when the disciples asked him during his earthly ministry, Lord, teach us to pray. He gave them a very specific response, and we'll see that in Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13 together. This is going to be our primary text for today. In verse 5 it says, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We see from this short and simple passage where Jesus instructs his disciples how to pray, a fantastic model for some of the things that we should be praying for. Now it's worth noting from the very beginning that Jesus makes it very clear that this is a guide to launch us into prayer, and that this is not necessarily meant to be the exact words we pray every time, which unfortunately is what it has become throughout Christian tradition. Not that I'm at all against or, or, or would want to stop people from reciting the Lord's Prayer, but if, if your prayer life is minimized down to you just recite the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again, you've missed the point. Jesus was given us examples of how we can come into communion with the Father through prayer. And so let me give you a couple of things. If you have the handout, we're going to start filling in some blanks. The first thing I want to say is this. Pray to talk to God, not to impress people. Pray to talk to God, not to impress people. Jesus is clear about this. He says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. That is horrible motivation for prayer. Jesus says, if that's why you pray, then that's it. You have your reward. Whatever attention you got while you were doing that, that's what you get as your reward for that prayer. 
Are your prayers heard and answered by the Father? I think not, because you are praying like a hypocrite. But on the contrary, Jesus says, when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. Now, this, of course, does not prohibit us from praying publicly. There's nothing wrong with, and in fact, it's, it's commendable to pray publicly. But if the motivation is that we might gain attention, and we see, we see this all the time, I think we can even be guilty of this ourselves, that we, we want to do spiritual acts for attention. We want people to see how well we're doing. We love for, for people to commend us for the prayers that we offer. Some of us, not all of us. So there's some people on the opposite end of the spectrum that are mortified at the idea of praying publicly. They are horrified at the thought that they would have to open their voice in prayer. I know uh, from experience as a pastor that again and again there, there are people who are very comfortable speaking one-on-one or speaking to a small group about almost anything. But when you ask them to pray publicly, that's an incredible source of anxiety. I want to help you with that today. I want to encourage you that it's not so much about your performance when you're praying. It's about who you're praying to. We don't pray to impress people. We pray to talk to God. James 4 verse 8 tells us that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And so one of the, one of the purposes in prayer is that we are drawing near to him, that we are getting closer to him. And that doesn't mean we always have to do that we don't have to, that doesn't mean you have to be able to pray in front of people to do that. If you only pray by yourself, be assured that God hears that and responds to that. But I, I do want to encourage you to challenge yourself to take that step. In our small groups each week, we gather together, we look at the Word together, and then most, most times we end with a little time of prayer where it's optional where we allow people the freedom to pray or not to pray. That's a great opportunity to start practicing praying out loud in front of your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ because there's no judgment there. There's nobody that's, that's going to correct you for how you're praying. In fact, I, I'm, I'm always trying to be conscious of the fact that many people there are several roadblocks between them and praying publicly or sometimes even praying privately and so I think we need to be very gracious towards one another when it comes to prayer we can get sort of analytical and critical of people's prayers prayers you know we have the tendency to do a lot of weird things when we pray we repeat certain words or we just say things that maybe aren't even all that theologically accurate and and sometimes we want to critique and criticize each other for that I, I say we stop that I say we just let people pray. And if somebody's praying, that's a good thing. And we just encourage that. And if the words aren't coming out right, then, then that's not the time to try to pick that apart. Let's just encourage one another to be praying. Because we're not praying to impress people. We're praying to talk to God. We want to encourage a community of prayer. The next thing that you see on the handout is that we are to pray to God himself. We're to pray to God himself. Now this is one of the most important questions that, that we inevitably come up with when, we, when it comes to prayer. Who are we to address our prayers to? God, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit. Father, Jesus says pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven. We're going to get to that in, in just a second. Who are we supposed to address our prayers to? Well, I think there's great biblical precedence that we should pray to any of the three members 
of the Trinity. So we can pray to God the Father, we can pray to Jesus the Son, and we can pray to Holy Spirit. The, the most common pattern in Scripture is that we pray to God the Father. But that should never, that should never keep us from praying to Jesus. I think, I think it's completely appropriate for Christians to address Jesus. I think it's completely appropriate and even less common to address our prayers to the Holy Spirit. We know from Scripture that the Holy Spirit is, is the one who comes and dwells within us, who gives us the power to live godly lives. And so to cry out, Holy Spirit, help me in this situation. Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, lead me is completely normal and biblical. We'll see a lot of times in Scripture that prayers are addressed to God the Father, but never is it prohibited, and sometimes it's even exemplified that we pray to Jesus. Stephen, as I met, the one I mentioned earlier, who was, who was uh, martyred for sharing the gospel, as he was dying, prayed out to Jesus himself. He addressed his prayer to Jesus. And so we see this as a biblical example of how we should pray. We can address any of the three members of the Trinity, but we should only address the three members of the Trinity. There is no biblical precedent for praying to anyone or anything other than God himself. That's extremely important to know. Let's look at verse 9 where Jesus says, Therefore you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. That's who Jesus instructs us to address our prayers to in this instance. And what's beautiful about that is there's two parts to how he addresses God the Father. First of all, our Father. He's our Father too. It's not just Jesus. He doesn't just say my Father. He he says our Father. He's our Father as well. And he's in heaven. The reason I love that entire phrase is because if he's my Father, I know he cares. If he's in heaven, I know he can. So when I'm praying to my Father in heaven, I know that I have the audience of somebody who is able to do anything that I need him to do. Because he is God in heaven. He is the ruler, the creator, the sustainer of this entire universe. He is omnipotent. That means he has all power. He is sovereign. He can do anything that he chooses. And I get to address him in my prayers. But not only is he powerful enough to do what I am asking him to do, I know that he cares enough to do what is best because he's my father. Not only is he the sovereign, supreme ruler of the universe, he's my father. And as my father, he cares deeply about what's happening in my life. That should make you want to pray. If you see God as this distant being who has no vested interest in your personal life, then your prayers are going to be weak if they exist at all. If you think that God does not have the power nor does he care to move on your behalf, then what is the point in praying? But if you see him as your father who is in heaven, that should motivate prayer. That should cause us to eagerly bring our request before him. My father in heaven, the one who can and the one who cares. This is what, I, is, this is what is on my mind. This is what I'm asking you to help me with. This is what I need from you. Our father in heaven. We are to pray to God himself. 
Hebrews 4 tells us that because of what Jesus has done, we are to approach the throne of grace with boldness. Because of the position that we have before God in Jesus Christ, because of what he has accomplished for us in coming to earth, living the perfect life, dying the perfect death, and resurrecting from the grave, ascending into heaven, because of what he has done on your behalf, on our behalf, we are to approach God's throne with boldness. Not with arrogance, not with irreverence, but with boldness, with confidence that he is my father, that he is in heaven, that he can and that he cares. And we are to pray to God himself. There are certain Christian traditions that teach prayer to people other than God, namely to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who have died and gone on before us. If that is your tradition, I I would just humbly encourage you to reconsider that for a couple of reasons. One, there's no biblical precedence for it whatsoever. We as as Christians are, are never told to ask dead saints to intercede for us or to pray to them directly. And unfortunately, that's a practice that's been taught to many people that, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who have died and gone on before us and they stand in a, in a position before God where they have greater access to, uh, to him. Therefore, we are to ask them to intercede on our behalf. There's zero biblical precedence for that. What there is biblical precedence for is that Jesus himself intercedes on our behalf and that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. If you are searching for a better connection to God the Father than Jesus the Son, you are mistaken about who he is. And I know, I want to watch my tone on that because I know that's a practice that no doubt has been taught to some people in this room. I just want to ask you to think about that biblically and whether or not that's consistent with what you believe the Bible teaches. Because it's not consistent with what I see in the Bible. Furthermore, there's no reason to believe that dead saints can hear us. There's no indication given of that scripturally. They are, they are not gods. They are not uh, omnipresent. They're not all places at all times. They cannot, there's no reason to believe they can hear our prayers. The only time in scripture people are addressing dead people, it's considered divination and sorcery and it's condemned. And in the Old Testament law is punishable by death. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's the case of, of those who are, who are practicing that today, but this is the biblical precedence we have, that we go to God himself. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. When Jesus died, before his death, there was the, uh, at the time of his death, there was a temple which God had given very specific instructions about how people were to approach God and approach his presence which dwelt in that temple. Within that temple, there were different areas, and there was a place called the Holy of Holies. And it was a place that even the priests could only go into, and only a certain priest could go into once a year. And that was considered to be the dwelling place of God's presence. And between that place and the rest of the temple, there was a huge curtain. There was a huge curtain that prohibited anybody from entering in there anytime they wanted And at the death of Jesus, the Bible tells us that that curtain was literally torn in two. 
That means that what Jesus did on the cross was that he took the thing that separated us from him, which was our sin, and he paid for it completely, thereby declaring that there is nothing that needs to separate us from God's presence any longer, that we get to come directly to him. And this is the case when we pray, that we come to God himself, not through a dead saint or any other person, but through Jesus Christ, the one mediator, the Bible tells us, the one mediator between God and man. And he's the only mediator we need. If we come to God the Father through Jesus Christ, we come boldly because of his righteousness, not because of our own. And so we pray to God himself. The next thing you see on the handout is that we want to pray kingdom prayers. There are several, after Jesus tells us who to pray to, there are several things he tells us to pray for. The first one is that your name be honored as holy. Now, you may be used to translations that translate that a little bit differently. A lot of translations will say, hallowed be your name. I think this is a better translation because it's clearer and less confusing. Hallowed be your name might sound like a statement and not a request. Hallowed be your name tends to sound like we're saying your name, sh- your name is hallowed. Your name is holy, in other words. When really, when you, when you look at the original language here, this is meant to be a request. And so your name be honored as holy is a request. Let your name be honored as holy. Our Father in heaven, let your name be honored as holy here. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These are kingdom prayers. We want to pray for the kingdom of God to advance. If your prayers, there are, certain, there are several things that we want to pray for, and we're going to talk about a couple of those this morning. If your prayers have been reduced down to just praying for temporary physical needs, in other words, the people in your life that are sick or going through hard times, it's time to expand your prayers. It's time to pray about other things. It's not time to leave those prayers behind, bring those with you, but let's add some other prayers. We want to pray kingdom prayers. We want to pray that God's name be honored as holy. We want to pray that his kingdom come, that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to pray for the kingdom of God to expand and to grow and to multiply. Pray that this world and the people in it would see God as he truly is. And that as a result, his kingdom would expand here on earth. That's what we need to pray for. Kingdom prayers. Add that to your prayer list this week. Make sure that you are praying for the kingdom of God to advance. Next, we see pray for physical needs. It is good and appropriate to pray for physical needs. Just don't let that be the only thing you pray for. It's good to pray for the the sick people in your life. It's good to pray for the things that that your loved ones are going through. It's good to pray for those things. Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. Give us the things we need now. Help us through these situations. Provide for us. Care for us. Give us our daily bread. That's a good thing to pray for. And we we need to stay focused on continually asking for the things that we need for now. Our prayers tend to drift to things that we're worried about way down the road. And Jesus tells us to to go ahead and just focus on what's here today because tomorrow is enough time to worry about itself. Give us today our daily bread. This is where we 
we bring the things that are heavy on our hearts before him. We ask him to let his will be done in those situations. 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us to cast all of our cares on him because he cares about us. You need to know that, that he, you are not burdening God with your requests. He wants, he wants to hear what's on your heart. Not because he's looking for new information. Jesus set, made that clear earlier in, in Matthew 6. He says, don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Well, then that leads, sometimes, leads us sometimes to say, well, then what's the point of praying? If God already knows, then why do I need to ask him? It's about building the relationship. It's, a, it's about spending time with him. He wants to hear, for, he wants to hear from you. He wants to hear what's on your heart. Again, not because he's looking for information, but because he's looking for the relationship. He wants you to build that relationship with him. Couples, married couples, that don't spend time sharing information with each other. And trust me, it's not always information that you need to know. Guys, is there anybody bold enough to give me a witness here? It's not always information you need to know. (laughs) But it's building the relationship. It's spending time talking together. And, and sharing what's going on in each other's lives. Every wedding I've ever done over the last 15 years, that's one of the things that I've included in that ceremony is that encouragement to spend time talking with each other and praying with each other and building the relationship daily. Daily. We have to take the same approach to our relationship with, with our Savior. That we build that relationship daily. That we come before him and say, hey, God, I know you probably don't. Instead of saying, hey, God, I know you probably don't want to hear from me that often. It's Sunday. Let's just go ahead and get this all out of the way for the rest of the week. Here's the things that are coming up. This week. No, he says daily. Give us today our daily bread. You know, if God gives you your daily bread, then you're going to have to come back tomorrow and ask for that day's bread as well. That's what he wants. He wants it to be an ongoing relationship. And so we can pray for those physical needs. But also pray for spiritual needs. That's the next thing you see on the handout. Pray for spiritual needs. Jesus said, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is different than praying for whoever, whoever's sick or whoever needs more money or the, 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 the physical needs. These are spiritual needs. Forgive us. Have mercy on us. Help us to forgive those who have sinned against us. Steer us away from temptation instead of into it. Deliver us from evil. These are spiritual needs. Paul, we're going to see later on in the book of Ephesians that Paul makes it very clear that you are in a spiritual battle. And you need to live your life aware that there is more going on than just the physical. That the spiritual is perhaps even more real and more consequential than what's happening in the physical. And so we want to pray for our spiritual needs. Pray for our spiritual health. Pray that we would be well before God. That we would be close to Him. That forgiveness would would take away our sin and our shame and our guilt. Forgive us, Lord. And help us not to hold anything against anybody else. Help us to forgive them. 
Keep us from temptation, that we don't sin against you, that we don't bring shame to the name of Christ. Pray for spiritual needs. Pray for your spiritual life. It's not enough to take care of yourself physically. You have to take care of yourself spiritually. And we all go through seasons. We go through seasons. I mean, some people are, some, some of you are just uber disciplined and you just maintain the same disciplines day in and day out regardless of what you're going through. I'm not like that. Uh, this summer has been crazy. We were renovating our house. By the way, we moved in um, completely uh, just this past Friday. And so we're super relieved to be here. Yeah, it was, it's been a, a crazy journey. Uh, but this summer has been intense and it's been busy and I'm driving and, and you know, I, I don't know how to pack a lunch. And so I, I haven't done that since elementary school. And so I'm constantly hitting the fast food. And I don't know how many times I've said to Kim, I was like, man, at some point I need to eat a vegetable or a piece of fruit or something because all I'm doing is eating Wendy's and talking and that stuff catches up to you, and you start to, you start to feel it physically. Now, I know some of you never do that. You're super disciplined no matter what's going on in your life. But my point is, you know, there are seasons, and I just saw that as a season. I was like, you know what, if i got to eat Wendy's for a little while, i got to eat Wendy's for a while. Because we've just got other things going on, things that we need to get done. But that can happen to us spiritually as well as physically. We can fall into seasons where we're not feeding ourselves well spiritually. And we're not taking the time. Sometimes the two go hand in hand because it's just what's going on in life. And we're not taking time to get into his word and to eat a good diet of God's word and to spend time with him in prayer. We need to take care of ourselves spiritually as well as physically. So pray for your spiritual needs. Pray for the spiritual needs of the people in your lives. Pray that God would cause growth And so these are some things that we see that Jesus instructs us to to pray about and how to pray. And there's a lot more to that. I mean, that really should be a whole sermon series, and someday it probably will be. The Lord's Prayer is a a, a great thing to just break down and and look at those one by one. But I wanted to give us just a real quick overview of how Jesus teaches us to pray, because now we're going to go back to Ephesians 1, and we're going to look at how Paul prays for the, the church at Ephesus. And then we're going to use this as a model and as an example of how we can pray for one another. So having kind of laid hopefully a, a decent foundation of what prayer is, that it's talking to God, that we do it to have a relationship with him, not to convey new information to him, and that we are to pray kingdom-minded prayers, that we are also to bring our daily physical needs to him, but ultimately that we need to focus on the spiritual things that are going on in life. Let's look at Ephesians 1. I'm going to start, I'm going to read 15 and 16 again. That's what I read earlier. And then I want to finish the passage through verse 19. He says, This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. This is what Paul says he prays for. He's not as like, hey, I, I, heard, I heard so-and-so was sick, so I prayed for them. And I heard you were kind of a little bit low on money, so I prayed for that. He says, no, I pray that you would know God. 
I pray that the Father himself would reveal himself to you by giving you the spirit of wisdom. He prays prayers that if those prayers are answered, all of that other stuff doesn't seem to matter anymore. And I want to call us to pray like that. That is kingdom prayers. That is praying for spiritual needs. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength? If Paul doesn't have a big view of God, he never prays big prayers for other people. But because he sees God as he truly is, powerful, able, glorious, worthy to be praised, interested in the lives of fellow believers. He sees God accurately. He knows him as our Father in heaven, the one who cares and the one who can. Because he sees God that way, when he prays for people, he does not pray small prayers. He prays big, kingdom-centered, spiritually-focused prayers. Now, within his words are packed a lot of theology. I think that's what intimidates us. We're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to say it right. I don't know if I got this, I don't know if I got it figured out enough to to say the, the right words. And I just want to say, forget about that. Don't worry about that. Just open your eyes to see that God is big enough and that God cares enough that whatever you're getting ready to ask him is possible. And that he will discern whether or not it is the right thing to do. Because prayer has to be accompanied by trust that God's will is the best thing that could be done. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth. As He didn't say, pray to your Father in heaven that your will be done, meaning our will. He says, pray that his will be done. And we see Jesus exemplify that in the most perfect way in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he comes to the moment in his life that he came to earth for. After he had been arrested and before they take him to put him on trial where eventually he will be brutally beaten nearly to death. And then he'll be crucified on a cross. He is praying to his father in heaven. And he says if there's any other way. Think about that for a second. Jesus, who was with the Father before time began, who was a part of coming up with this plan of redemption, who knew what it would take, was feeling the anxiety and the the burden and the grief of what he was about to go through, so much so that he says, are you sure we thought of everything? He says, if there's any way that this cup could pass from me. And he immediately corrects himself. He says, nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. I'll tell you how I take that. I pray boldly in my best moments. I pray, don't get me wrong. I pray plenty of weak, pathetic, 
are you even awake prayers. <laughs> but in my best moments, I pray boldly. I'm, I see no reason to be afraid to ask God for bold things. Whether it, whether it has to do with healing or provision for things that we need. I've, you know, we've been talking about this building that we're looking at, hoping to get a more permanent facility. I've, I've asked God to give it to us. I've asked God to heal people of stage four cancer. I've, I've asked him to take anxieties from my own life. I, I'm not afraid to, and I don't want you to ever be afraid to. Whatever, it, whatever your will is, go ahead and ask for that and do it with confidence. But make sure that you do it with an attitude of, but if that's not your will, Lord. If you've got something better in mind, give me that instead. I've prayed, many of you know, my 11-year-old daughter has multiple disabilities. Um, As far as we can discern, she suffered a brain injury prior to birth. And it, it left her unable to do a lot of things in life. You better believe I've asked God to change that. But I always want to do that with an attitude of, but if you've got something better, Lord, let's do that instead. And that's how he's answered that prayer. He didn't, he hasn't changed it. He's brought a lot of progression that we thought maybe would never come. But he had something better. And Jesus, when he was in that garden of Gethsemane, the father had something better in mind had that cup passed from Jesus as was his will in the moment if we can get our heads around that had that cup passed from him you and I would have no hope you and I would still be dead in our sins and so when he answers the bold prayers that we ask of the things that we want with I have something different in mind We have to hold on with the confidence and the tenacity to believe that that is absolutely true. That I just don't have the best interest of even myself or of the people around me in mind when I ask for what I asked for. That he knows. That he knows what is best. And he will do what is best. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will. And it's a strange thing to come before God and say, hey, here's what I'm hoping for, but I, you know, sometimes you're just almost certain that that's not what he's going to do. <laughs> it's like, this, God, this would be great, so I'm going to go ahead and ask for it. Why not? What do I have to lose here? You told me to come and ask. And that may sound like a lack of faith, but I think it actually takes a greater measure of faith To believe that I don't know what is best. And so ask, but ask knowing that he is God. And surrender your request to him. We don't come to God demanding anything. He doesn't answer those prayers. He's not our genie in the bottle. He's not a slave to our will. He is the sovereign God who set up this universe and ordained the things that are happening now according to his will, not our will. 
And so we come before him, we ask boldly, and we surrender ourselves, and we submit to him. And we say, nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. And then sometimes he, sometimes the two line up, and he does something miraculous, sometimes something unexpected, something that is just blows our mind, and he does that at his discretion. He does that according to his will. And so we want to pray big prayers to a big God. We don't want to, we don't want to come before him uncertain of whether he cares or uncertain of whether he's listening. We want to come boldly through Jesus Christ. That's why we often pray in Jesus' name. That's just our Christian way of saying, I'm only talking to you because Jesus did what he did. Because without him, I don't think we're talking right now. Without him, I don't think I have an audience with the Most High God. But because of Jesus, but because of what he did, because the Bible tells us that he now stands at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, I come boldly and I make my requests known. And I don't just pray for myself because we see here in Paul's example that we are to pray for others. He gives us the example of praying for others. This is why since I heard about your faith, verse 15, in our Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. And so let me give us some couple quick applications here. The first one is that, pray for others. That's the next thing you'll see on your handout. We are to pray for others. Who are you remembering in your prayers? Who are you interceding and and going before the throne of grace on behalf of? Make a list. Not just a mental list. There's nothing wrong with a mental list. As a kid, I specifically remembered, even before I was following Jesus, I had a a prayer list of of people in my mind. Now, you have to understand a little bit of anxiety and probably a a sprinkling of OCD in in there, and that's been there throughout my entire life. So as a kid, I had had this practice where every night before I go to sleep, I'd pray through the exact same list of people in the exact same way. (laughs) And And I just had relatives and friends and people that I would just pray for, and I just, again and again, I would just spout off that same list. It was all up here, okay? It was all, I never wrote it down. I would encourage you to write it down. I would encourage you to write down some people that you're going to commit to pray for this week. In fact, before we leave here today, it's my goal in the next few minutes to to challenge you to come up with a specific plan that you can put into action before today ends and that you will execute throughout the rest of the week. Who are you going to pray for? You can think of a couple of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I certainly think you should include some some folks in your life who don't know Jesus, who aren't our brothers and sisters in Christ, who have not received him as Savior, and to be praying for them. And then how will you remind yourself to pray for them? How are you going to remind yourself on a daily basis to pray for these folks? Are you going to set a reminder on your phone? Are you going to post it somewhere? I do all kinds of things 
depending on what I feel like doing at that particular time in my life. Uh, sometimes I use post-it notes on my bathroom mirror. Um, we, we, Kim and I took some flack in our small group over, over this, but it ended up catching on and being a cool thing. Uh, sometimes we'll laminate either scripture that we want to uh, be meditating on or sometimes even things we want to be praying for and put it up in the shower. <laughs> so uh, Kim actually went as far to buy a little notepad that has a suction cup that goes in the shower and it's some kind of weird pencil that you can write on in the shower um that's a great place to pray because hey you're going to be in there for a few minutes you might as well make it well i don't want to say make it productive it's already productive if you're showering on a regular basis that's fairly productive i think that's a good practice um but how are you going to remind yourself is it going to be in your car is it going to be every morning when you get in the car first thing i'm going to do before i turn on the radio i'm going to pray make a list pray for some folks this week what are you going to pray for them How are you going to ask God to work in their lives? I would encourage you to use Paul's example here as a model. He says, I pray that the Lord of our Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom. Pray that they would have the spirit. That the spirit would bring wisdom and revelation of God himself. Pray that they would know him. Pray that they would experience him. That he would be present in his life. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of this calling. Pray that they would understand the gospel, the hope of this calling. That's the gospel, that we have hope in Jesus Christ. What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance? In other words, what is what he has in store for us? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? We have a God who is with us, who is powerful. He has all power. There's nothing he can't do. Pray that the people on your list would know that. That they would experience God that way. I'm kind of jumping around here. Let me give you the last fill in the blank in case we didn't cover it already. Pray that they would know God. I'm sorry if I got out of order there. But pray that they would know God. Make a list of other people you're going to pray for. Again, you pray for yourself this week. Pray that you grow spiritually. Pray for the things that are going on in your life. Pray if there's anything wrong. Bring those needs before God. But let me encourage you to add to that that you pray for others, a specific group of people this week, and that you come up with a plan of how you're going to remind yourself. When are you going to do it? Where are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? How will you execute this plan of praying for others? And remember that Jesus says, he says, Hey, it's not about putting on a show for other people. It's about getting alone with God. So go somewhere in secret. That doesn't mean you can't include your spouse or that you can't be accountable to other people. It doesn't have to be a secret. But go somewhere in secret. Go somewhere where you are alone with God and pray, with, pray to him one-on-one for the people that you're committing to to pray for today. Make that list. Make a plan and do it. And pray that they would know God. Here's what's really cool about praying that people would know God. It's a prayer that you can be a part of the answer to. We get to be an answer to that kind of prayer. There's a lot of things that we pray for that we really can't do much else for. We ask sometimes when somebody's going through something and we as Christians like, hey, is there anything I can do? And they say, just pray. And that's really about all we can do sometimes. There are things that we just really don't have a lot of influence over. But when you pray that somebody would know God, guess what? You can actually be a part of the answer to that prayer. That you would live your life in front of them 
in a way that would help them see God. When you live your life according to what God has called you to, and others get to be a witness of that and get to see that, you're helping them know God. You're helping them see what He is like. And so pray that they would know God. And then be a part of the answer to that. And let's all be praying. I would ask that all of us would add to our list this week that we pray for this community. That we pray for Lowerboro and the surrounding area. That the folks here would know God. That the 150,000 people within 20 minutes of where we're sitting right now would know Him. Would know Him as Savior. Would know Him as our Father in Heaven. Would know Him as good and as gracious and as merciful. That they would know the Gospel. That He has provided a, a sacrifice for their sin in His own Son. And that he has paid the price for the sins that they committed against him. And that they can be forgiven by putting their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together that this community would know Jesus. That he would know God, that they would know God's plan of redemption. That he would make himself known and reveal himself. Not only to the people that we know personally and that we're praying for. But that our community at large would know the gospel. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. And get us ready to pray. Or get us ready to worship. I'm going to get us ready to pray. Make a list. Have a plan. Do it this week. That's my encouragement to you. Everything else was to help motivate you to that. And to help prepare you to know how to do that. As well as we can. Make a list. Have a plan. Execute it this week. This week let's be a praying church. This week let's be interceding for other people that, that they would know God. Let's be interceding for this community that the gospel would be made known here. And let's start right now. I want to ask you to go ahead and close your eyes and join me in prayer. You've got a list of names in your head by now, I hope. Specific people that you want to see God work in their life. In these next few moments, let's just collectively Lift up those folks before God. Asking him to make himself known in their lives. Asking him to do what they need as our Father in heaven, the one who can and the one who cares. Asking that his will would be done, that his kingdom would grow here on earth as his will is done. Father, you do care. You are our God. You are a loving God and you have made that known. You have shown your grace and your mercy by what you did in sending your son to die on the cross. And so now, because of Jesus, we come before you, directly to you, not going through any man. We speak to you because of what Jesus has done. We ask for these folks that you've put on our hearts this morning that they would know you. God, that you would move in their lives in miraculous ways. Revealing yourself along the way. Doing what they need you to do in order that they could experience you today. Send your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom, to bring a knowledge of the gospel. To bring faith. To bring trust. To bring repentance of sin. To bring whatever is needed to get them close to you. And Father, I pray for the folks in this room that we would know you this week. That as we spend time in fellowship with you through prayer, 
as we set out with a plan. God, would you give us the grace to execute that plan, even if imperfectly, even if we don't do it the way we intended to today, that somehow we would draw closer to you through prayer this week. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.